Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. I feel like I have just the best job in the world because every day, sometimes several times a day, I get to introduce you to some really incredible people doing incredible work in this world. And today is no different. Please help me welcome head coach at Lead Consulting Group, Jeff Eschleman. Absolutely, Karen. (laughs) So, so happy to be with you today. So grateful for Jen Burwell's introduction. Absolutely. And how do you and Jen know each other? So actually, Jen and I know each other through her father-in-law, who I think has actually been on your podcast. Brian. I've met Brian a handful of times. So Brian and I would be what are called swim buddies. And so if you're familiar. I'm a swimmer. Okay. If you're familiar with the Navy SEALs. Not that kind of swimmer. (laughs) So the Navy SEALs have a philosophy about swim buddies, which is if two people go out into the ocean, two are going out and two are coming back or two are going out and none are coming back. And so we got paired up with each other as a part of a coaching program. And that was in 2019, we went through the coaching program together. It's called Optimize Coach. And actually as a part, in addition to having a swim buddy assigned an Optimize Coach, you had to complete a physical challenge together at the, at the end. And most of the optimizers did a Spartan race together. We couldn't do the Spartan race because I had a conflict with my grandkids back east So Brian and I, we did a physical challenge. We went over Camelback one morning and we went back over the other direction. So we did Camelback twice in one day to complete our physical challenge for Optimize Coach. And we've stayed really good friends ever since. He's a good man. Yeah, good people. He and his wife both. Yes. Yes. I just did Piastoa Peak. I I went over (laughs) and and around. Three hour hike. Fantastic. And it was Sunday with a client of ours here at Business Radio X, uh, Hilke Faber with Rooted and Unwavering is his show, also a, a leadership coach. Today is that the day after the day after. Okay. And then for me, that's when the calves are like, still feeling uh, actually, crying. Well, so, t- so that was yesterday, but today's the second day. Yes, some tears and, uh, you know, wow, what did, I, what did I do? Gotcha. I loved every minute of it and my body's paying for it today. <laughs> well, good. So that's, uh, that's a neat way to be paired up. Accountability. Sure. And, and everything else that goes with that. So tell us about your background. I'm, I'm very curious to hear about what led you up to the work that you're doing today. And before we talk about Lead Consulting Group, give us the backstory, Jeff, the, Jeff, the backstory. The, the backstory. So I'll, I'll go back a long way, but I'll go pretty quick. When you've so, got all the time you need. So actually all the way back to my childhood. We, go. we moved here to the Valley when I was seven. And my dad ended up in the home building industry. He was a house painter. And so since about age eight, I've been a house painter. I was on job sites, new home construction here in the Valley when I was way before I should have been, but about eight or nine years old and really grew up in, in his shadow. Uh, I've, I've got such great core values that were instilled by my parents. And that actually led me into my home building career. The one thing that I would mention is that really the only thing that I had done prior to home building and then now consulting was the military. And before I'd even graduated high school, I knew I just, I felt a calling to serve. And so I enlisted in the United States Army. 
I was in a very, you know, peacetime army at the time. But while I was in, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And so near the end of my tour, I ended up in Saudi Arabia for Desert Shield and then uh, Iraq for Operation Hmm. Desert Storm. And, you know, to say that that would have been a life shaping experience would be the understatement. I was 20 years old when I was coming back from Iraq and I knew that I had seen and been asked to do the worst things that I'd ever have to do in my life. And so far, at age 52. That's still true today. And so I came back to the Valley. I went right back to work basically for the same painting company. I just happened to be painting homes out here in South Phoenix on a particular builder community. And they said, hey, we have this position opened up as a project manager. And that's how my home building career started. And as of October of last year, That was 30 years in the home building industry. And what's a little bit unique to my situation is it was all with the same organization. And I'm actually going to be retiring here in March from that. And I'm going to take what has been my part-time love of coaching, doing it in the microscopic space that I would call my spare time. And I'm going to be doing it full-time going forward. That's where the lead consulting I'm so excited that we get to be the first to help you announce that. Absolutely. Because before we got on air, I said, surely you've done, you know, a bunch of podcasts. You're like, yeah, no. No, (laughs) So thank you for the gift of being able to share that uh, celebration and announcement with you. Absolutely. And that didn't take very long. You went from childhood all the way up through, you know. um, I might have left out some of the the more colorful details. Feel free to bring them in as as needed, if if needed. Uh, All right. So you've been dabbling in coaching for a while. A little bit under the radar, it sounds like. And as far as, you know, you've been doing this other full-time gig for a long time. And you already gave us a little glimpse of what it was like to be in a coaching program. I'm I'm assuming you were a participant and not the the lead coach in this example you gave about Brian. Correct. All right. So then take us through that that development, that journey. What what brought you, if you could, what brought you to the idea that you would want to participate in a coaching program? And then this extension around, oh, I I can bring this to others and I can be of service too. Sure. And the way it really developed for me, Karen, is throughout that 30-year career, initially I was in the field building homes as a project manager. And you could imagine you you could get a lot of satisfaction from delivering the American dream, right? I mean, the, the home is typically the biggest purchase anybody will ever make in their life. It's, you know, think about Maslow's hierarchy. It's, it has all to do with safety and, you know, all those things that are natural. And I got a lot of satisfaction out of delivering. And I built hundreds of homes in my career where I was on site managing construction. You know, I would say, you know, when you give the keys to the person at the end and you see the smiles on their face or you see the little girl or boy and like that's going to be their room and you built this for somebody. And so you, at least I got a ton of satisfaction and reward from doing that. But then as my career progressed, I started moving more and more away from the project management and more and more into leadership, management and leadership. And it actually got to the point for me where I moved into the office full time to be a director level position in 2007. And I I was missing something, right? Like I was missing that tangible feeling that I got in interacting with uh, families 
and delivering this, you know, American dream. And it took several years for this to develop for me. But over the years, I, I was able to not only replace that feeling, but I was able to like 10x it in people because I started, and I'm not a big fan of the word, I mean, management. Well, management is effective. I think process likes to be managed. People like to be led. And for me, that was the evolution of how my career unfolded. And I found that the development of people, well, first of all, I found the execution. So taking what I was doing before on one single job site, and I was in charge of my own destiny, but then now I was doing it on multiple job sites and I was responsible for multiple people and their execution and not just the people on my team that were managing the work, but the contractors on the job. And that's where it really gets, I'll just use the word fun, right? Which is code for, it's a lot of hard work. But that's really where I started to develop the passion was in people. And first of all, it was gaining performance. But then it, it really morphed into people development, right? And I'd been in the industry so long, and I was really fortunate to be with the same organization where I'm pretty fortunate now to look back through my career. And I, I've got people on my teams that have been there for 25 years. Wow. I mean, just short of my own tenure that have literally, just as I have, grown up within the organization. And for every one of those that would be in the organization that grew up there, there's literally hundreds or maybe thousands of people that I've had in some way, I call it like my thumbprint on their career trajectory in some way, whether, you know, I like to say, you know, mentorship can come a couple of different ways. It's either through, you know, giving someone a hand and a hand up or a foot in the other direction, right? And, and I'm good at both. And so I think that's one of the things that makes me effective as a leader and a coach. That's something that I developed a tremendous amount of, of satisfaction in people and growth, really closely aligned to like my own children and seeing them grow up and become adults and great people. It's, it's really close. Hmm. When you coach people, mentor and guide, what do you find is uh, some of the most challenging pieces, not necessarily for you, but for someone coming to you as a client and, and ready to work with you? Where, where do you find that they, is, is there a place that they struggle the most? I think what I would call my specialty is helping people, I would almost say, get out of your own way, mm -hmm. right? Because I see a lot of that. And the other biggest thing that I would say, Karen, is I'm a tools guy. I'm a process guy. I'm sure we'll get into that on some of the other elements that I have to chat about. But I'd say for people in general, here's the thing. All of us mostly know what to do. <laughs> That's not the problem. Knowing what to do is not the problem. It's the doing it. And the consistent action. And the consistency that goes along with doing it. And again, those are things that I've been able to develop in my own life into what I would call a signature strength. And that's what I help people create in their own lives. And so you have, you've designed a process for that. Exactly. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. It, it's really a, it's really a three-part process. And I share with, with my clients and, and others and mentorship what I do, and I never tell, I never tell anybody, you need to follow Jeff's process. Like, 
I'm going to share what I do and what works for me. And none of my current clients use exactly what I use and follow it chapter and verse. That's not what I'm about. I'm about sharing the tools, equipping them with the tools they need to be successful. And then a lot of cases, it comes down to accountability. And so I use three different processes. All of these processes I've developed as my, for myself through really what I've learned in business, right? And I'm sure we'll talk about this at somewhere in our conversation. These things that I've learned, it's not like I've, I've been doing this all along. Like the only way that I've learned, and the only way, the predominant way that I've learned these things is by falling square on my face and smacking my face in the dirt and picking myself back up and saying, wow, that didn't work. And then figuring out a different way forward, better knowledge, better skills, better equipped, more consistent action. To me, that's the recipe for success. So I use three different things that I found through either business or optimized coach. The first one, my, my real hallmark that I've become almost, I would say, famous or infamous within my organization is for what I call my day of Zen. I was going to ask. I saw that in some of your info. I was very curious. Day right. of Zen. My day of Zen. Tell so us about that. I've been doing this for over a decade now. And so my, first of all, my tagline for my day of Zen is checking out so that you can check in. Beautiful. Right. So I'm checking out on everything that is the day-to-day. I'll backtrack for a second. I have a number of roles, what I call roles in my life. I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a grandfather, I'm a VP of operations for 60 more days, I'm a coach, I'm a friend. I'm, I'm all of these things. And that's, again, a part of what is the struggle for people is you have all of these roles and life seemingly comes at you in today's digital world, right? It's, it's nonstop. So for me, what the day of Zen is about, it's about adding a sense of calm and quietness to my life. That is, and with most things in my life, Karen, it comes down to just being intentional, right? And so whether it's intentional about the time or intentional about what I'm thinking about or reflecting on, that's a key component. And I'll talk about that a little bit in the day of Zen. So essentially at the the end of the day, day of Zen is a day that I take every month. I take one at the end of every month and I take about two or three at the end of every year. And so when I say check out, I mean check out of everything. Like I don't do anything like my, I have an 11 year old left at home. So I have an 11 year old, a wife, and the rest of my family and 80 members that are on my team. And, and they're not part of the day of Zen. And they're not a part. And not only they are not a part of it, like I'm not going to be a part not of accessible. the day to mm-hmm. day. I'm, I'm off the grid and, and everybody knows that I've trained. Them, right. Mm-hmm. So I, re- I literally take an entire day and I, first of all, I try, you know, breaking the day of Zen means I'm not going to do it at my house. I'm not going to do it at my office. I go somewhere else. It could be the library. It could be the desert. It could be, you know, somewhere close, Sedona, Mm -hmm. something like that. Because I also like to try and go somewhere inspirational. And for me, I like the outside. So anytime I can, you know, unplug, if I'm unplugging from my cell phone and emails and all the rest, I might as well go out and sit, you know, at at Wind Cave out here in the East Valley and 
you know, see roadrunners and cactus while I'm thinking and while I'm doing my thing. And so the day of Zen is two parts. Number one is the first half of the day from the morning all the way through lunch. It's a reflection of the prior month. So Monday of this next week is the 30th. I'm 30th or 31st. I'm going to be off. It's already on my calendar. It's been on my calendar for four months. Because number one on my agenda for Day of Zen is always make sure that your next one is on the calendar. Otherwise, it's not going to land on there. (laughs) That's intentional. Yeah. Right. And so I really reflect on the entire month. In this particular case, it's going to be January. Did I do what I said that I was going to do? Mm. And I'll just tell you this at the outset. A lot of people have written goals. There's a ton of people that don't have written goals, and that's part of the problem. But I have not only written goals, I have probably, I would say three times more than the average person who even has written goals. And so that's why it developed for me. And that's why I had to take an entire day. Now, again, none of the clients that I work with take an entire day like I do. And I'm not saying you have to take an entire day, but as a part of the day is in, you do have to check out so you can check in on yourself because that's where you can really get real, right? So a month is a really good chunk of time to get things done. And at the end of the month, if I'm looking back and I'm looking at things, and this happens for me because I, I've been doing this a long time and I set my goals. You know, I, I didn't invent the word stretch goals, but I, I think I'm the poster child for how that works. And I'm also the poster child for intentional goal strategy and how I set them and how I remind myself. And so from a, and to me, that's the secret for my clients. It's not goal setting, it's goal achievement. Hmm. How are we achieving what you want? And so then the second half of the day ends up being, okay, now I'm looking at February, right? I'm looking at February. I'm thinking about, did I, didn't I from January? I'm thinking about, and, and I have longer term goals that I have in five year, one year, quarter one, and then I'm checking in monthly. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always reevaluating the mo- mostly the quarterly and the yearly. Am I on track for those depending, you know, because life hands you circumstances, right? Just again as soon as you get started <laughs> on your, your January goals, life will step in and yep. throw you and throw you curveball. So the day is in is, is what really started for me. And it kind of paved the way for the rest of the pieces that I use in my system today. It's a great signature. Yeah. 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 Tell me what carpe, carpe diem means to you specifically. Carpe diem is obviously, it's uh, Greek, Latin for seize the day, right? And so this carpe diem process that I have is a direct lift from the optimize. And so optimize is all about, they, they refer to like the, if you're familiar with John Wooden, like, create a masterpiece day? How do you make each day your masterpiece? Mm-hmm. And so I'm a creature of habit and I'm a process guy. So I literally have a little piece of paper that I fill out every day that is my carpe diem journal. Mm-hmm. And I basically step through that every morning. I set, you know, I've already used the word intentional a few times. I set my intentions for what I'm going to do that day. But more importantly than what I'm going to do, I set the intention for who I'm going to be, Mm. right? Who I'm going to show up as a first-time podcast guest, who I'm going to show up as a father before I left my house or a husband, or, you know, later today, if I'm 
you know, interacting with my parents or my team throughout the day, contractor meetings that I have, all of those things. I set my intentions for the day. And the beauty of the carpe diem is that, again, it talks about, not again, but it talks about going from theory to practice to mastery, Mm -hmm. right? So the theory is the things that we know, right? As we said, or I said in the beginning, a lot of people know how the, what the theory is. The part where they start getting a little lost is in practice, right? Like, can I put this in practice? And most of us can, can focus on individual efforts. Like I'm a little bit beyond goofing on New Year's resolutions right now because we're into the third, fourth week of January. But I, I do goof, tend to goof a little bit on New Year's resolutions just because they tend to not be effective for most folks, right? I mean, I think there's a reason why the Rockin' New Year's Eve is sponsored by Planet Fitness, right? Because <laughs> for every gym membership that's bought, you know, that first week of January, in about another two weeks, the line is going to be growing at where you get into line to check out of the gym, right? And <laughs> cancel your membership, unfortunately, yeah. because even though your intentions were that you needed to get healthier for the new year, by the end of January, the rest of life creeps in, right? These other roles, these my, my job is gnawing at me or, you know, something's happening with my parents or it, it's life, right? Like it's messy and, and things happen. So the theory to practice the mastery. So if you want to have a great month, if I want to check in with myself on Monday and know that I've had a great January, do you know how I'm going to do that? By making sure that I have a great day today on Wednesday, mm-hmm. right? And when I can string those together and I, I literally count, because at the end, well, actually at the beginning of the morning, each day I look back across the whole last day and I have a little, I have a little mit, a rubric for myself to say, was yesterday a masterpiece day? And not all of my days are masterpieces, but when I can string masterpiece days together, I end up having great months. And when I have great months, I have another great year. And when I string great years together year over year, guess what I create for myself? A great life. And that's, that's where I want to be. Well, you are there, clearly. (laughs) I love it. Wow. I can see why Jen recommended that we have this conversation. Uh, Yeah, what what a gift. Why do you think it's so hard? And maybe you've already alluded to this, uh, for people to find this balance between work and life. And I'm assuming that the people that you have the blessing to work with, certainly in the career that you're just getting ready to, to say thank you and I'm moving on from, it's been around this work-life balance and, and more so around work, I would imagine. But with the clients that you're working with now and look forward to working with in the future, what would you say to somebody who struggles with that, that blend or that, um, that balance between work and life? Yeah. The first thing I'd start with is uh, a tool because I'm a tools guy. I, I get like, that. I like to give people <laughs> tools. And the first tool that I would start with is one right from Phil Stutz. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with Phil Stutz. He's a, he's a, a coach. He's a, like a Hollywood guy that coaches a lot of, he just did a documentary with, I'll forget his name right now off the top of my head. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, one of his, he actually wrote a book called The Tools. And one of the tools in the book is called, You Will Never Be Exonerated. And what that means is, if you think you're going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be easy, yes. guess what? You're wrong. If you think you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to be able to do what you've done before and you're going to get a different result, guess what? You're not going to. 
So if you start with that and you know that it's not going to be easy, then what can you do? Then I start adding on other tools, mm-hmm. right? Because we, here, here's where I think the other, where some of the, the clients and the folks that I work with, what I actually help them discover is like, you know, your mind is like, you can game your mind. It is right. a supercomputer and it is capable of far more than we allow it to do. But again, as I kind of alluded to before, a lot of times we just get in our own way, right? And as you said, maybe that was in our introduction where, you know, I want to go ahead and impose my own little will on the universe or whatever, or this process, and then somehow I know better, right? Well, guess what? You're going to find out, right? Like, yeah, you probably don't, right? <laughs> right. And so, again, as a part of the systems that I've used in the past, I'm, I'm able to offer my clients tools that they can use to kind of separate the weeds, right? And, and see, because for a lot of my clients, it's either, it's about the vision. A lot of people have a vision for what they want, but they don't know what the roadmap is to get there. And then I've encountered people in my career and then sometimes clients who have the vision and a little bit of the roadmap, but they'll lack a tool because another tool that I use is day-tight compartments, right? So this goes all the way back to Dale Carnegie. And if you think about like a ship or a submarine, right, they're built with these compartments so you can seal the doors on either side. So if you hit an iceberg or a torpedo, you can close the compartments up Mm -hmm. and only one part gets damaged, right? Life is like that. So if (laughs) the torpedo that's coming at you is a sick child, whether that means for the day or something worse, you have to be able to, because again, if you're expect, you're never going to be exonerated, right? Like even facing uh, February, which we're going into, I can imagine something difficult is going to happen in my life. And I don't worry about the difficult things coming. What I like to equip myself and my clients with is the skills and the mindset to be able to overcome anything that comes at you. And when you have, to me, I would call that the knowing. When you have a knowing in yourself that you have the tools and the constitution to be able to handle anything that's going to come at you, I'll use another word. That gives me a lot of confidence mm-hmm. and knowing that I'm able to, I'm able to make my way forward in spite of circumstance. And be better for it is and the be other better piece that I'm it. hearing. Yeah, exactly. Don't I lo- I'm enjoying so much about you. Uh, and not everybody does this, is that you're giving credit where credit is due. You have some really incredible uh, original ideas and thoughts and, and tools that you're sharing, not only in your own life, but obviously the people that are fortunate enough to work with you. And every time you've mentioned something that you've gained from reading or learning or taking a lesson from somebody else, you've been very gracious to make that obvious. So thank you for that. Not everybody does that. <laughs> and, and oftentimes I'll hear, even in, in the studio, I'll hear somebody mention something that I know is somebody else's. And, and sometimes it's because we just, we, we own it, we, we ingrain it. I know I'm, I'm guilty of that. And it becomes mine. Right. Uh, and other times it's, it's deliberate. <laughs> and we want to take credit for, for something that, that feels like ours, even though we know that perhaps somebody helped with the building block. So I just something that I wanted to thank you for. It's very, very special. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
I, I know Daryl's our producer is enjoying this conversation as well as as he and I both often do. We always have an opportunity to kind of reflect on wow, that, you know, powerful individual, powerful leader, and humble as well. And I'm hearing that humility. Uh, in all the years that you have been in home building, is there anything that really stands out for you? Is just like this? This was the the pinnacle, or this is one of the neatest things that I've experienced. What What's your greatest treasured accomplishment when it comes to that portion of your career? I'll I'll mention two. This is it's it's in association with what I've done in home building, but not well. It is directly related. So the first one is. I've emerged as a safety leader. So we're talking like on the job safety. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've been in the home building and construction industry, which, you know, has a lot of inherent dangers in it in, in the process of, of building a home. And over the years, I've emerged as a safety leader. And, and I've done that in a way that I think it was 2020, I was awarded the Safety Champion Award by the National Home Builders Association. So our local home building, home building uh, association, the Central Arizona uh, Home Builders Association, nominated me and put that up to the National Home Builders Association. And then I won that distinction in 2020, which was to me the culmination of, you know, a lot of pick and shovel and hard work, you know, that gets done on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's one other thing in particular that probably led to that, and it's I've created a, a best practice, really, that we call the Phoenix Job Conduct. And so it's a established best practice that we basically borrowed from some builders that were doing this in Southern California. Mm -hmm. I started implementing it in my, I actually had a really similar thing that we did in our own organization, but it was just specifically branded to, to my company. But I knew through my conversations with my other peers around the nation and, you know, just around Arizona, you know, there's a lot of healthy and sometimes unhealthy competition between peers, right? Mm -hmm. And safety wasn't getting the attention that I thought it deserved. And then not only was it not getting the attention, but I felt like we could be doing so much more if we were doing it together instead of being in competition. Mm -hmm. Because even though there's you know, there's a hundred different home builders around town, the contractors that come and do the work that come to do the plumbing or that come to paint the house, they're basically the same contractors and they work for all the different builders. Sure. And so I used my, here's a leadership word, influence, right? To go to my peers and say, hey, I think there's a better way that we could do this. And, and I'll even volunteer this program that I've been doing because my organization made it clear that if it was anything related to safety, we wouldn't consider that proprietary. We'd share it with the world and tell them how we could, you know, uplift our, our own, you know, we, we want to send every worker home safe mm -hmm. every day, right? Mm -hmm. And if we think about that as our mindset and we move forward, and so I leverage my influence with the association, with my peers around town, and then with all these contractor relationships to get people to buy into this best practice, which essentially raise the bar for, for safety performance. And yeah. at the end of the day, when I'm going to look back across my career, that's probably, it, it's tied for first with the leadership development and the people that are either in the organization that I'm retiring from or the people that are in the industry today that I've again had that 
thumbprint of influence. I was on. just going to come back to that. I was just thinking that that you had shared in in the beginning of our conversation how you've been, and I can't remember if it was on air or if it was before when you and I were chatting, where you mentioned that, right? You, I think it was on air. You have had this opportunity. You're aware of how many lives you've had a chance to, at least to some degree, influence and and leave a lasting impression on. And with this safety piece, right? This uh, Phoenix job conduct. Conda. There will be I mean, people living in homes all across our great state in a manner in which it needs to be where we're safe. Right. And these contractors and are held accountable to quality work. Those families will never know, Jeff. Right. <laughs> but you've had your thumbprint. I, I, fantastic. Yeah. I like to use the thumbprint with my next level leaders. Yes. Because the thumbprint to me is a very unique way and it's not always just the next people in the organization. It could be about a process change or when I'm talking with the next level leader and we have something and it needs to be different, you know, I'll say, hey, Kim, how can we address this situation where I look back three years from now and I can see Kim's thumbprint on what we did here? Yep. Like that's the example. And Kim's thumbprint, I'm, I'm going to make a stretch here. The way I'm hearing it is it's Kim's thumbprint, not so that can Kim, so Kim can walk away and say, but Kim can have an influence for a greater, larger reach and impact. It's 80% the latter and maybe even 20% the former. Yes. And and I do believe that there has to be that piece that says, wow, I've done good in the world. And and it's funny because uh, as a coach myself, I often have people kind of challenge me on where ego sits in our lives and the role that it plays. And and some world leaders in coaching would even say that really ego has no place in anything that we do. And I, and I disagree. We're, we're human. (laughs) And, and that's like game in the system, right? That ego is in you. And intentionally implanted in us as much as our, you know, the lines on our thumbprint. So I, I, I appreciate that. And thank you for, for pointing that out as we talk about the 80, 20, as it relates to making a lasting impression with your next level leaders. Tell us about Shout team. out to Prado. Prado. The Prado principle. Yes. 80, yes. Yeah. So, right. Very, very good. Look at you. He might as well give a shout out to that too. Team 212, or right. is that how I pronounce it? Yeah. yeah. Tell us about Team 212. So, Team 212. So, I got involved with an accountability group in January of the previous year. So, January 2021, there was a group of folks that I met in my Toastmasters organization here locally they had this accountability group and they're like, hey, Jeff, you're the kind of guy who's joining our accountability group. And I said, well, I'm not the kind of guy who needs help counting my push-ups. Like, I've, <laughs> right. I've, I've got that, right? But I was sympathetic to what they were trying to do. And I felt like, again, Prado, I could be 80% of a value to this group. I could be the old, quote unquote, older, wiser, you know, member of the group. And yet 20%, maybe I could get some value out of my, my ego would let me get 20%, you know, a value out of this program. Well, lo and behold, a, a, six months later, if you would ask me, it was reversed and I was getting 80% out of it. and Maybe I was contributing 20, but through the middle of the year, the, the fellow who had started the program said, Hey, and he was in two groups. He said, Hey, I'm not going to be able to do your group anymore. Like I got to focus on me. So he did that. And me and another member said, Hey, let's let's take this thing forward. So we rebranded it, we renamed it, we came up with the the team two twelve. So team was in the original name and then a number. So it would have been real easy for us to just call ourselves team team twelve, right? But then I thought, well, what's the significance here? So I came up, you know, just kind of kitschy with the two twelve because 
I'm such a big fan of the molecule, you know, H2O. It can go from a solid to a liquid to a vapor in minutes. That is astonishing to me that the transformation that can, and I think that's just a great example of like what we can, what I've done in my own life and what people can do and what people do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, so at the end of the day, that's all about the name. <laughs> Team 212 is an accountability group and we've got members of our community that participate. It's about sharing personal development. It's about accountability. And at the end of the day, it's about systems, Karen. It's giving people, what do you call it, a system or whether you call it what I've been calling it, tools. If you give people the tools to equip them to like own their own life and you use good effective tools that have staying power and they help you get past the messiness of life because we all know that it's not going to be perfect. So between the accountability, that's where the, the, the magic really, and when I say magic, I just mean the hard work. The magic is in the systems and the tools and then the accountability. And it's not accountability. I mean, it is a little bit of accountability to like, hey, Karen, you said you were going to, but it's mostly accountability in the form of support. And the other thing, if I had to say over my time, and this goes all the way back to my time on a football field in high school, but definitely in the military, and then my time in corporate America, it's about teams. There's the power of we is powerful. The power of me is powerful. The power of we is extraordinary, right? And so when you can use that and harness it for support and tools and accountability, that's what we're doing in Team 212 is just trying to help people organize this and get started on their journey if they're a little bit lost. So many things buzzing through my head as you're sharing that um, as it relates to Team 212. I thought of exponential growth, right? You could have just had the, the, the number 12 and what you're sharing with your tools and the accountability piece and just who you are as a leader and also acknowledging and recognizing that when you show up in something, you have an opportunity to learn and receive as well. There's that opportunity for exponential growth. So that's sort of, in my mind, I was like, oh, I, I see where this is going. Also, you spoke to magic and then almost qualified it as not magic. So I'm going to, I'm just going to say there is magic that happens when we are in community with each other, mm-hmm. that it just takes on a life of its own, right? So when you have process and tools and accountability and, and caring for and, and taking care of each other, I, I'm certain just based on what I've learned, learned in listening to you today, that magic is, is something bigger and beyond us. And it happens when we have some really cool systems in place and the right people in the room showing up for themselves and that we for each other. Right. And so the word magic for me is really special as you've shared it. I just wrote down a quote before I came in for the interview and it said, you know, it's, it's not a quote, but it, it, it was a reminder that said, God helps people who help themselves. What we've been talking about a lot today in our conversation is about people who help themselves. But what we haven't talked a lot about is God. And that's where you just mentioned magic. And so I don't want to over, I mean, I'm, I overemphasized the tools piece because that's a part of my program and that's how it gets done. Don't let me underestimate the magic part of the equation, which is, and I love how Jim Rohn would say it, which is 
you know, when people plant, when a farmer plants seeds in the ground, like your job as a farmer is to plant. Your job as a farmer is to keep the weeds away. Your job as a farmer is to water, right? Your job as a farmer to keep the birds away and all these things that a farmer should do. But if you had to grow the seed, right? <laughs> what, what, would you, yeah. what would you call a farmer who digs up the seed to see if it's growing, right? right? You'd call them skinny and poor, right? So if you had to put all your energy into how that seed grows, you'd be up nice. That's mm-hmm. what Jim Rohn would say. Mm-hmm. So there is obviously things that are going on that are bigger than us. Miracles. Now, when you can put all that together and go back to my quote, God helps people who help themselves, mm-hmm. right? So... Thank you for that. And, and this is Business Radio X. So f- for goodness sakes, for us to actually mention the word that starts with a capital G. There you go. Is, you know, sometimes uh, doesn't taste. Well, ca- call it the universe. Yeah, call right. it whatever you no, want. No, I'm right there with you. Yeah. And and I and it, there's rarely an interview that I do that, that that's not brought, brought up. And so I, I appreciate sharing that space with you today. Fantastic conversation. So grateful to have an opportunity to spend some time with you this morning. How can people stay in touch with you? And what is the first entry point to see if they're a great candidate to become one of your clients and part of your crew? Sure. I'd love to either have people hit me on LinkedIn is probably my most prevalent social platform, or you could just go directly to my web, jeffeshleman.com, which I'm sure you'll have a we will. We'll link have, in the uh, show notes. Of course we will. Yeah. Two best ways. Very good. And spell your last name for us again. So it's Jeff, J-E-F-F. Correct. Eshleman, E-S-C-H-L-I-M-A-N. My goodness. com. So many great nuggets today. Thank you. Absolutely. really feel uh, blessed and privileged to have had this conversation on air today and not just at a coffee shop. And like I'm absolutely delighted. Excellent. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio. Broadcasting from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona. Some media lean left, some lean right, and we lean business. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.